You're listening to the You Don't Know Me Yet Podcast Network. Other type of conversations I want to have because this is what I'm learning in marriage. How long have you been married? I've been married twice. I've never been single. Okay, wait a minute. So you came out of high school? I, I was I, my Ooh. children' father. We were in tenth grade when we were together. Oh, this is gonna. Be I got good. pregnant at eighteen. Okay, and he, he just he lost where he come from. He got drafted and played football all America. So he started running women. He didn't think I was gonna leave. But I'm not LeBron James's wife. I left him at the. What I left you know him right after the the draft, <laughs> and I started my life. And I and look, I was like Tina Turner. I said, "Get out of here!" I just money. want my name. I just took my children and I walked. I went live with my parents. So, but what I want to talk about is um, those kind of things, and okay. I want to talk about it was something we were talking about, Troy. Those things are like really, really important. Like people think, like seriously. All my married friends want to be single and all my single friends want to be married. Oh, man. So, my friends, it seems like every time we go somewhere, the topic is relationships. Relationships. I hate talking about relationships. Why? Because it's like everybody thinks that their happiness depends on somebody else. No, and it doesn't. And And that's the hardest thing to convince people that it's not. Oh, my God. It's frustrating. And then they want something from somebody they can't give to themselves. Oh, man. Or... They want something from somebody that they can't give to that person, not unless themselves, the money thing. You know, like I see so many men want women that have all this money, but they don't have the money and vice versa. Like I, I see women that want to marry or be with men that have a lot of money and they don't have no money. And I'm like, where did all this come from? Social media. Social media has put us in a position where we're looking, we've got a, what, what's it called a fishbowl look at someone else's life. And we're comparing ourselves to that person. You ever, have you noticed lately that even with social media has done, it's almost leveled the playing field from those people that are superstars with those people that are uh-huh. online stars. Because mm-hmm. imagine you being an influencer and you're a, okay, a model. model. Jennifer Lopez is very popular. She's an entertainer. She's an actress. She's a performer. She's not as hot as that uh, Instagram model that has 10 million followers. Okay. That as soon as she posts an image or posts a video showing anything, she immediately gets gratification from people liking that image. Okay. So that goes into the psychology of how, what motivates people. These likes motivate me. It's the same thing as dealing with an addiction. That dopamine release that you get from someone liking your photo is going to make you post more photos. It's going to do something that gives you more instant gratification. So you take that and you say, well, with people that are on drugs, it's not the same thing. Well, they could just stop at any time. You remember the old thing, just say no? Yeah, it don't work like that. It's kind of like technology addiction. It's like social media addiction. We're addicted to everything. Uh, Food. Well, in in our realm now, we call it... um, Process disorders, because addiction sounds really harsh, but a process disorder, you can be addicted to porn. You can be addicted to likes. 
addicted to likes. I want so many people to like this image that I just posted that every time this little ping goes off on the phone, I'm jumping to it to see who liked it. What if they had a dislike button? What would happen then? Do you know how many people would lose their, go absolutely crazy and lose their mind if 10 million people like their image compared to five people that dislike that image? They would be more concerned on the five. Yeah. And it's like, listen, it reaches back into that inner child. Most of us grew up with childhood trauma in some respect. That's why they always say uh, people of color, and I hate saying people of color, but black and brown people are the ones who need to be in therapy the most. Because when it comes to other ethnic groups, they will go and get help for any issue, whether it be trauma or some physical ailment or something mental or some addiction. But we, as people of color, we tend to keep our information and what we're going through on the block. You might have a neighbor that you share it with. You might have a family member down the street that you share it with. But it's kind of going to stay on the block. Hispanic families, they keep it in the house. No one knows unless you're close to that family. With Caucasians, something happens, they're immediately going to get help. If there's a sexual assault in the family, they're turning that person in, and they're going to get help. If you have someone, uh, and I heard the conversation earlier, dealing with a child that has autism, you're immediately going to get help. Sometimes we just keep that person in the back room. Back in the day, we used to keep them in the back room. Mm-hmm. Just don't go back there. You know, Junior got I remember some, that. And it's like, We all what? have somebody like that. So imagine now I'm a young black man. I'm growing up in Houston, Texas. I grew up in Fifth Ward. I'm the oldest. I have three brothers and three sisters. So I'm the oldest. Never knowing that at five and six years old, I'm not supposed to be the patriarch of the family. I'm supposed to be, I'm a kid with my siblings in charge of them, mm-hmm. making sure they eat, making sure they bathe, making sure they're ready for school, making sure that they get to school, making sure they get back home. And I grew up around what I consider my YouTube of the day. I grew up across the street from a motel. The motel had the pimps, the prostitutes, had not the gangbanging, but it had everything to groom an individual to become his own little monster. So I had a bunch of domestic violence uh, in my household. My mother was in some uh, relationships with men that meant us no good. And so what would happen to her would eventually happen to me. So what did that do? That changed me from being a happy-go-lucky kid to saying, when I get bigger, when I get stronger, this ain't going to never happen. So this is, in essence, the creation of a monster. This is a formation of a monster. So how do you feed that monster? Sports was my outlet at the time. I don't even know if you asked a question for me to go into all of this. Keep talking. I'm loving it. So I had a coach. He saw that something was going wrong. I was, whatever trauma I was dealing with, his name was Uncle George. He ran the Little League football team in the community in Fifth Ward. So he had the Fifth Ward Steelers and the Fifth Ward Saints. He said, you know what? He saw that I was not being guided and I didn't have a father figure or a big brother. I'm the big brother. I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. He said, come out, and I want you to play for my football team. And I said, what? I don't even know what football is. So I went out, and he showed me. He, he taught me discipline. He taught me how to focus. He taught me how to be resilient because what I was getting on the other hand was Pee Wee. Pee Wee was the pimp. 
that lived across the street in the motel. Pee Wee had 10 ladies that worked the corner of Liberty Road and Greg Street. Pee Wee was grooming me and teaching me how to become him. It started off with, hey, little man, come over here. Uh, go to the corner store. Get me, go to the uh, Lubbock Drugs and get me a pack of smokes and uh, a cig, uh, something else. He'd give me a $20 bill. What he wanted only cost $1.50. And he would come back and say, yeah, I see you with your little friends and your family. Go ahead, keep that. So now I got $18 and some change. I'm thinking I'm rich. For a kid in the 80s, I'm rich. Yeah. So I don't see Pee Wee as a bad guy. Right. I see Pee Wee as a good guy who's helping me. Every time he needs something, I'm his little man. I'm his little runner. He's teaching me now how to handle women. So when he snaps his fingers, the women come, the cattle call comes, and all of his girlfriends would give him money. So what did I say? I want to be like Pee Wee. Because when he calls, his girlfriends give him money. And they look good. And I want to have people around me that look good okay. and give me money. Uh, okay, I'm going to let you finish. So when you said that, you know what? what? I had an auntie. She was a waitress and a bartender. Okay. She would come home every day with a whole lot of money from mm. tips. And I used to say, I'm going to grow up. I want to be just like her. I want to be a waitress. For years and years, I wanted to be a waitress and a bartender because I saw her come home every night with all these tips. So I get it. And it's amazing how we equate money to success. Because when you don't have it, you want it. It's just like we were just talking and you said a lot of your friends who are married want to be single and a lot of your single friends want to be married. And it's, we always want what we don't have. We always think that grass is greener on the other side. What we don't realize is sometimes that's AstroTurf. <laughs> and that AstroTurf is going to do you no like good. That. You jump over there to see if that grass is greener, and you realize that's not real grass. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. And we're back. Me time with Stephanie. I, I work with so many couples. Um, I have a program that I do with couples because I'm a clinician. I'm also an interventionist. Uh, I have a program called Marriage Mechanics. Now, when you have an issue with your vehicle, what do you do? Go to the mechanic. And the first thing the mechanic says is, What's wrong? He's doing an assessment. Right. What's going on in your relationship? What's not happening? What is happening? What does what needs to be worked on? So you're giving him your idea. It's something rattling under the hood. So what is the mechanic going to do? He's going to pop the hood, tell you to turn it on, let me hear what's going on. Is it doing it now? Because sometimes okay. you take your car or your equipment somewhere to get fixed and it doesn't do what it's been doing so that that person can hear it or see it. So you're like, it's not happening the same. It's like I'm having a fight with my husband, but now my husband in front of this person is acting all professional and he's being tactful and he's not cursing me or being demeaning in any way. He's acting right. Yeah. Or vice versa. She's acting right. So the same thing with a car. You take it in, you have to make sure that the mechanic you're taking it to is specialized to work on to that particular it, vehicle. It's not going to be acting up when you You might it take up. it to a, a mechanic and he specializes in working on foreigns. I might specialize not in couples. I might only specialize in addictions. So me working with a couple might not work for that couple. Okay. But if you're in a position where, like me, I've had to vary uh, my expertise in a number of areas because of who I've been afforded the opportunity to work with. Addiction is something huge. Mental health is something huge. People don't talk about it, but the true pandemic is mental health. That's the truth. People think that it's COVID. 
Okay. No, but yes. it's, it's, it's mental health. Okay. So I, I, you, I heard, you, you heard I, the you heard the ping go off. Yes. So I'm gonna turn this uh turn this off right now so that doesn't interrupt okay. us again. Okay. So I want to I want to tell you something. You're absolutely right. That's why I'm so excited to have you here. For those of you who are just tuning in, or those of you who don't say your names, give me your information. I'm Christopher White. Uh, I'm a clinician. I'm also an interventionist. I'm also a RAP facilitator, which is uh, acronym for Wellness Recovery Action Planning. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, so, Chris, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why you hit home with me. I remember that was a, I had a friend, and something was going on with him. He was always off, and he was just acting weird. And then he said to me one day, he said, and I was probably in my late twenties. And he was like, he, he, he said, I'm depressed or I'm down. And, and he was just really trying to communicate that he was depressed. And I said, what? I was like, you better get it together because black men don't get depressed. Mm. And I was I'm glad like, you brought that up. And I was Ooh. like, live it. Like, what is wrong? You, go get it together. Because, you know, my, I always saw, I always tell people, I grew up in an environment where I saw nothing but strong, strong men. Who knows if they was going through depression or not because right. they probably hit it. And he, he never talked to me again when well, I said that to him. Because you. in our culture, black men aren't allowed, aren't afforded the opportunity to be depressed or down without negative uh, connotations attached to it. So even with what I do, I work to destigmatize the need for help because our cry for help might look totally different. My cry for... Uh, I'm one. I'm the oldest, so I'm used to doing for everyone. If it's a problem, call Chris. If you need something, call Chris. I need a picture. Call Chris. Chris knows how to do everything. No, I don't. I just figured it out because it was needed, and I'm in a position like to help. So I become like a Swiss Army knife. What do you need? That's me. I got it. Okay, you need this? I got it. So most men, especially men of color, we are always in a position where we have to be strong no matter what. I have a son who's just turned 18, and I constantly tell him, I, I, this might be a negative thing because I inundate him with the fact that the world is going to have different expectations of him. That's the truth. So they're going to expect you to be strong at all times. They're going to expect you to figure out and get it done. They're going to expect you to, to find a way. And what's going to happen is if you don't, if I don't equip you with the necessary tools, not only to survive, but to thrive, then I'm doing a disservice to you because I've walked that path that you're about to walk on. And it's going to be challenging and it's going to pull everything out of you. And it's going to frustrate you sometimes. It's going to put you in a position where you're going to question your sanity. You're going to question everyone around you, but still you're not going to be afforded the opportunity to say, I feel sad. Or I'm depressed. Because someone's going to say, man up. Get your ish together. Mm -hmm. Go do go in the back room and kill one. That's a whole <laughs> different conversation. Mm -hmm. Go in the back room and kill one so you can relieve yourself of that stress and that tension. Mm -hmm. So that you can get your mind right. You can get back on point so that you can hold this down. I tell them all the time, your sister is on a different track than you are. And everybody wants to say, no, I treat my kids all the same. It's impossible. I'm a father of two. I have a son and a daughter. I was blessed in that order, mostly because my son is a protector like myself. As men, we're providers, protectors, we're leaders. 
And that's black exactly men. how exactly what well, I'm going to say black men, but it's supposed to be men in general. Yeah. The women are, I feel, are not supposed to be in that position, but some or most are forced into that position because it's no choice. My mom was in that position. You have all of these kids and there's no man around. And the men that are around aren't doing that. They're not, they're not doing good what, leaders. No, they're not good stewards of any ships. Okay. I want, I want to, I, I don't want to lose this no, train no. of thought, We're but I want to bring, I want to, I want to share this with you that this is something that I've talked about with several of my male friends and I'm trying to figure out a way to, when you said that, I'm just trying to figure out a way to get this message out. I saw it once on a show a long time ago and I kept saying, how can I, I just happened to see it on TV and I was like, how can I help my community get it? Here's an example. When I was, you talk about protectors. When I was growing up, I grew up in Louisiana and I always tell people now that I'm older, this is how I look at Louisiana men. Either they're good or they're bad. There's no in between Louisiana. No gray area. No. Either he's good. a good man or he's a bad man. That's just what I see. I'm not talking about from stats or anything. This is what I've so seen. So if he's a good man with faults, is he considered to be a bad man? No, he's still a good man. Now, when we're talking about a good, when I say a good man or a bad man, everybody got faults. Right. But in Louisiana, if you're a man, if you're a white beater, a wife beater. Mm. Gotcha. That man over there, he he, he going to probably beat up the white be- wife mm. beater. So it wasn't like an in-between man. He was Either he was just good or bad. That's, how I, that's just how I look at it. So okay. I say all that to say. So I actually grew up in, a, in the household around men that were good. Okay. But it seems like well, all my Good friends, from your perspective, from a child's perspective, or from an adult's eye? It could be from totally different. From an adult's different. eye, now, when I look back, yes. Okay. When I was a kid, yes. And I'm going to give you an examples of that. I'm going to share this with you. But my friends were never around the type of men that I was around. Mm. So, and, and so this is where I go. So me growing up, I always tell, I always tell people, even men when I'm, when I'm single, I grew up around a lot of strong men. I'm not one of those women who could say I never felt protected. I never felt safe. I feel safer around the black man. I feel more protected around the black okay, man. Okay. Let me ask you a question. When you say strong men, what did that strong man look Look like um, if somebody was coming to to harm me, if I'm if if I'm putting gas in my car and somebody coming to harm me oh, he coming out to stop it. He not going to just look the other way and pretend he didn't see anything because, you know, he don't want to get hurt. Right. He, you know, he don't think like that. OK. A, a, a strong man in my mind is the, is that man like if he sees see you in danger, he's going to help you. Some men, they just I've seen studies where some men, they're not going to put them li- their lives in danger of themselves. Because it's not their business, and I don't think that's weak. I can see that from a stranger's yeah. point of view. Yeah, but and and I don't, I never judged it either. When you said the protectors, and this is one of the things, like when I was growing up, everybody used to say, "Oh, you know, that's Alvin's sister." Right, and you know? what the connotation that came with that was: like, you do something wrong, he's gonna be on your butt. My brother don't yeah, play. He don't play. Or, or they'll say, "You know, that's um, Jerome's niece." That was my uncle. Like. Cause my uncle, he would take us to proms and we had, you know, he had my mama pick, he, my mama would have him pick us up from the dance. So everybody knew my uncle Jerome didn't play about his nieces. Mm -hmm. So I grew up around those kind of men. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. Me time with Stephanie. But why, why did you consider that to the only version of what strong is? Okay. But I'm gonna keep going. Okay. Keep going. Okay. Um, 
this is what I, I consider, I wouldn't even say strong. I, I mean, good men. Okay, my uncles taught me how to play marbles. They taught me how to swim. They taught me how to ride bikes. They t- I remember I was being bullied. I remember them staying up all night teaching me how to fight because some girls were supposed to jump me the next day, and they they wanted me to defend myself. So they were always involved. I remember when when um, my grandmother had a heart attack, my great-grandmother, everybody was at the hospital for a couple of days. They were combing my hair. My plaits were sticking up everywhere. It's like they would always make sure we were provided for, like you said, they would get up in the morning, cook eggs, and, you know, make sure we was dressed up. They were older. Right. So I always had those kind of, I call them protectors. Okay. Um, they were never they were never the type of men that I could, I, I went looking for them. If they knew they had to babysit, they was there. Okay. They never brought their girlfriends around because they were older. But on the other hand, I did have friends that would want to be at our house because their daddy was messing with them. Right. Abusing okay. them. Mm-hmm. Or I had another friend, her mom and dad would fight so much, the mama would beat up the daddy all the time, and she just got tired of her mama beating up on her daddy. So I had never seen abuse. I had never seen a man in my family hit a woman. If anything, mm-hmm. I always saw my grandfather come home bringing gifts to my grandmother. I, I, I always tell people I grew up in a functional home because I always saw my grandparents kissing and hugging. Until I was 20-something years old, I didn't even know my grandmother's place wasn't on my grandfather's lap. My grandmother was always sitting on his lap. He'd read the paper she'd come from, wherever, sit on his lap, and, and he'd be reading the paper with her on his lap. So I grew up, I always say I grew up in a functional home. We literally used to sit around on Sundays and watch them dance. They'd be dancing. So we ended up learning how to dance. We used to Zydeco because we were from Louisiana. Mm. And so when I say there's a difference uh, between the kind of men I've seen and the kind of men that my friends saw. So that's probably why I right. say strong. Okay. So one of the things I'm noticing now is that, and this is what I try to tell to the black man, like we know that you're our protector. and We know as, as a woman, you're not going to play. Like my brothers, like my brothers, I'm 54 years old. And my brother's two years younger than me. And I'm still like, don't tell Alvin that happened. You, you know, because yeah. my brother, he he still right. looks at us like we still kids. Right. Right. Or he'll be threatening my the guy I'm dating. So what I'm hearing you say as a woman, your job is to keep your brothers out of trouble. And doing so. I become you, their protector. Ex- <laughs> exactly. You get where I'm going? Yes. So now completely. I don't tell them things. Like little girl, this is what I'm trying to tell to the men now. Somehow, I don't know how to say this, and maybe you could help me to help them. There has to be some way that we could communicate with black men to have their daughters, especially their daughters, to come to them no matter what. And the only reason I say that is because I had a young woman, her boyfriend was beating Mm. her up in high school. And she was come to our after-school center and would help her with her homework, and we kept noticing it, and we kept trying to get her to tell her father because we knew he didn't know. Mm. And she refused to tell her father because she, this because is what she, she said to us. the repercussions to that would be She said, probably my violence. father is the provider of our family. My mother is not working. And if my father found out, my father will hurt him. My father will go to jail. Right. And then we won't have anybody. So she went on and on. And so in my mind, I had to, fig- I had to tell her father. So how do I tell a black man that your children shouldn't, especially your daughters, shouldn't Mm. be your protectors? You are their protectors. 
but I didn't know how to, I did end right. up talking to him, but I, I didn't know how. I get it. Uh, say someone like me, I'm fiercely protective of every woman in my life because of what I grew up in, what I endured. And I know what potential is there for some men to take it past the point of an argument. Uh, I keep it black and white. Don't surprise me. Don't ease me into a situation. Tell me. Because as men, we are resolution-based. We're uh, fixers. Our job is to fix it. Whatever the issue Whatever the issue is, our objective is to fix it. So with my daughter, what I tell her, if something is happening to you, I need you to tell me. Because if you tell me, we're going to find a solution. So I'm solution-based. I want to find a solution. Even if it's not the best solution, we're going to talk our way through yeah. it. I'm not going to ever tell you a lie. You might not like the way I say it, but you can respect it because I'm telling you the truth. So as men talking to our daughters and our wives and our sisters – Tell us point blank what the issue is so that we can find a way to fix it. That's, oh my goodness, thank you. That's all I needed to know because, and now that you share that with me, I have to start figuring out a way to, and I will share it to them because it's still going on. It's like these men, they can't even fathom some, some, a, a guy hitting their daughter. And so I had a young lady once told me um, in my program too, she said, when her dad found out that her boyfriend had punched her or something, something had happened. Mm -hmm. And she said she couldn't understand why he was so upset because he had, he hit, she, he hit her mom all the time. Really? She said that to me, you know, and, and, and that goes back to uh, what we were considering strong. Some people in some communities think that strong is a man putting his hands on a woman. That's weak Seriously. to me. I, I, if I see I'm, a man, I'm just, hit, I'm just that's telling the weakest you. thing to me. That's like my pet peeve. Any man who hit a woman, I think is a, I don't even know the word for it. Well, you got to get, well, I'm going to say, not going to say you have to look at it from but a different what, perspective. What, what did well, somebody what, do to make him? I don't know. Well, hey, so so you have some women who are hyper-masculine. They're very aggressive. And I've seen relationships where the male, I've got professional colleagues who are the abused in relationships. And if they didn't videotape it, I wouldn't have believed that this soft-spoken woman can turn into a monster and become physically abusive. I had to see that. Not that I didn't believe my friend, but it was hard to fathom that this person could do that. And when I saw it, I said, whoa. And they probably okay. really and, and, and it was it, it was no longer funny because yeah. we sometimes we think it's cute when women do assault men. It's like, oh, he's a man. He can take it. See, but that's when we start to discredit a lot of things that men have to deal with and just eat because he's a man. He can take it. He's a man. He can take it. He's a man. He can take it. And it's like, look, if I do what I know that I'm capable of, I'm going to be looked at as the bad guy. And this is might be a self-protection system that's in place to stop you from harming me. Okay. So now, so, okay, Chris. Okay. And I'm, I want you to finish that. So, so now look at, look at this. Okay. She hitting him. I got a son. Right. Now, Let me see that video of a girl. Exactly, exactly. So, so you if you change saying? the dynamics, then you're going to see it from a totally different perspective. She my son like that? Oh, it, she it, a lot. What's she at? Get what? So right. men do the same thing, right. vice versa. So it, you have to have a common ground where you say this is not a part of what we're building here. I've been married going on twenty. I'm going on twenty one years. Uh, I've been with the same person for close to twenty five. 
And the first time I met her, yeah, the first time I met you, remember what did I say? <laughs> I said, I'm going to marry you. And she said, you don't even know me. I said, yeah, Men you know. think it's not a plan. God know what's going on. And I know I'm going to marry and you. And then you manifested it. You yeah. spoke it. Oh, I chased her for three years. She was a sprinter for University of Iowa. I played <laughs> football. You ever seen a gorilla chase a gazelle? That was me. So we, we going back home to Texas. Okay. So uh, you're very fortunate when you're able to find people that you can invest all your insecurities in, all your trust in. And it, I don't take that lightly because sometimes people get into relationships and I work with couples all the time and you go through these phases. I love you to life. I love you to life. I hate saying love you to death. I love you to life. I'll do anything for you. Then as the time goes on, you sometimes you're breathing too heavy. I don't even <laughs> like to hear you breathe. Sometimes you can't even be in the same room with the person. Sometimes you're in a period where you're walking by one another throughout the house or the apartment. You haven't spoken to each other in X amount of days or hours. And then you get to the point where you might not even think you want to be married. That's that patch mm-hmm. where you're trying to figure out, am I supposed to be married to you? <laughs> because uh, you ain't acting like you're married. And this ain't what I signed up for. And it's like, okay, how do you get past that? That's around year seven to ten. That's when they say it. After oh. year seven, if you make it past <laughs> seven, you're good. They said after seven, and you before can't, seven. And and. And you can't look at it like I'm going to be married for 30 years, 50 years. You can't look at it like that. It's really one of those things. It's day for day because my job is not to secure your happiness. I'm supposed to make myself happy. You're supposed to make yourself happy. I agree with that 100%. And together, we're going to do some incredible things. people. Exactly. But I can wake up feeling like a million bucks. I'm going to meet Troy today. I got a session with Troy. We're going to do some incredible things. We're going to go meet Janet Jackson. We're going to go meet 50 Cent, and we're going to do all this stuff. I'm having a great time in my mind. But if my wife wakes up in a foul mood for whatever reason, and I allow that to affect me, her Issues are now permeating my psyche, and now my excitement has waned because of what my wife said. She set you in the, her zone. Yeah, and it's like, no, no, I can't allow that to happen because God told me I was going to have a great day. I love it. God told me I was going to have a great day. Guess what? I'm going to have a great day. Whatever you need to work through, go work it out. Yeah. And you think you think about people who are dealing with uh, depression. I look at depression. This is my personal personal way of seeing it it's depression is a social dilemma meaning that there are external factors that create depression social media is now creating depression because we're gauging ourselves by other people we're judging ourselves by someone else's life online that you don't know that you think they're living their best life and that's not true you don't know what that facade that might just be a facade but you don't know but to them they're to you they're perfect now, you don't exercise. That contributes to depression, meaning you don't have a workout routine. Your diet plays a major part. Your nutrition is bad. Guess what? You don't sleep right. So now you're not getting the proper amount of rest. You're not resting. You don't have a workout routine. You don't do anything to change your demeanor. Guess what? You're going to become depressed by default. You're going to find you sitting around playing games all day or Everybody smokes now. Now smoking is legal. Smoking is legal. It's about weed, marijuana. Marijuana. So it's legal. So now it contributes to someone just saying, I'll do it later. 
that contribution puts you in a position where that later turns into a longer period of time for you to have to wait to get to some semblance of what you think success is. I'm not. I'm a, I, got a na- I have a natural high. I have a natural motor that's going to push me. I know what being broke is. I know what being poor is. I'm not going back to that. So whatever I got to do to put myself in a position, relationship-wise, uh, financially, I need to put myself there, and I'm the only one that can do it. Wouldn't it be Between- nice if people said this? You be happy, I'm going to be happy, and then we'll come together. We'll just be happy be together? Happy yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? But that's, that's almost like a fairy tale, it seems. I don't need you to be happy, and you don't need me to be happy. I'm not going to depend on you to be happy, and you please don't depend on me to be happy. But let's get together when we're yeah. happy. Uh, yeah. Let's be, you know, I don't but know. Look, look like, I would come in from dealing with some clients that had unrealistic expectations, and my wife, she'll just be in her own great mood. And I'm coming in, and I'm trying to dump, emotionally dump on her. And I'm, she's like, what's bothering you? Man, I had this guy, and he wanted this, and he did that, and guess what? Now I'm frustrated. Now I done brought that frustration into the house. Sometimes, you know how you go into some get, some people's homes, and they ask you to take their sho- your shoes off because uh-huh. they don't want you bringing in uh, debris uh-huh. on your shoes? It's kind of like that. You have to check that ego at the door. Because if you can, thank you, if you can unpack that at the door, because now you have kids that need to see happy dad. Even if I have to suck it up and pretend till I get in the back room and decompress, I need to give them something positive because I don't know how their day went. They might feel like they're having a day worse than mine. So you see, so so, you know, I like the way that you're looking at life, and I like the way that you analyze. And one of the things that I want us as a community to get from you are phenomenal. I just <laughs> you you got me thinking. But one of the things I want us as a community, as a people, to understand that nobody, you can't rely on other people for your happiness, and you can't be responsible for other people's bad decisions, bad choices, and bad yeah. moods. You, you know, like, I sometimes I get calls like, um, are you in the mood to talk? I, I got some stuff going on. Nope. <laughs> is, is it, it negative? It, yeah. Is you it negative? Tell. I don't have to talk. Um, I can't. I don't have time. I'm always never available. Well, you never call me back and I'm not. But, but sometimes <laughs> as a friend, you know what you can do? Hmm. I'm going to give you five minutes to vent. When I have sessions where I'm dealing with someone with a, uh, anger issues, I tell them, I'm going to give you five minutes. Say whatever, scream. I have a punching bag. I have some punching mitts. I can go put them on, you can put the gloves on, and you can let it go. I'm giving you five minutes, though. After that, we're going to work past this. We're going to create an action plan to get past that because you're triggered. And sometimes people, when they figure out your buttons, those triggers, they'll push them just to see you blow up so that they can take advantage of the fact that you're blowing up. So with that being said, I know we only have a couple more minutes. I am Chris, you got to come back. Gonna, oh, most we're definitely. We're doing part two. And then we're going to get doing Troy to join two. in because, you know, Troy is here. And Troy, he talk all kind of crap. But let me see how Troy can hold on against Chris because Chris <laughs> coming strong. So, Chris, all I want you to do before we go to the, our, okay. our second segment um, is please tell them who you are, exactly what you do. And, and, and I'm going to okay. let you lead in our second discussion because you got so much to talk about. Oh, I want to talk about, we talked about depression, but you know what I want to talk about? What? I want you to talk about this relationship thing because Ooh. Troy and I keep going back and forth. Okay. He's saying some powerful stuff <laughs> about the, co- and, and basically in our communities, I can't really talk for everybody community. 
Right. I'm just really concerned with what goes on in our community right now because that's the only thing that I could help situate. Totally understand. So go ahead. Give okay. us your information. So I'm Chris White. I'm the owner and founder of the Launchpad uh, Collective. The Launchpad Collective is the launchpad.life if you want to see me on uh, online. Uh, I specialize in depression, uh, anxiety. Uh, we do group counseling. We do individual also uh, work in addiction and recovery. So if you have someone in need of help, I'm available. And I always tell people, it's okay not to be okay. And if you take that to heart, when you want to talk about it, I'm here. I offer free consultations, and I'm available at any given time. And you have access to me whenever you need me, and your audience has access oh, to me Oh, I'm going to be inviting you to the show oh. more than once. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Great. with Me time with Stephanie.